What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Miller. So I'm going to give a recap of some of the college football games from Week 0 over the weekend, including the San Jose State-USC game, which I previewed a ton this past weekend before the game. I'll give a recap of that game, give a recap of UMass Amherst's big win over New Mexico State, and then I'll also talk about Ohio's tough loss to San Diego State before previewing some of the games in tonight's slate of week one of the college football season. A lot of games tonight, uh, so I'm going to give a preview of a handful of those. So let's start off with the San Jose State and USC game. Going up against the number six team in the country, not many people had any expectation that San Jose State was going to be in this game. I thought San Jose State was going to be able to put up a fight, which they ended up doing. They ended up losing the game 56-28, losing it by four touchdowns. So at the end of the day, it wasn't really too close of a game to look at the final score. But I was honestly impressed with how hard San Jose State fought in this game. I was right about one thing. Or a couple of things in this game, I should say. Shevin Cordero, I was right about him being a problem for USC. I said he'd have three to four touchdowns in the game. He ends up with three. And I also said that USC would sweat during this game, which was definitely the case. Especially in the first half. When USC's defense couldn't contain Cordero. And then San Jose State's defense was making it hot on Caleb Williams. Especially in the first half. They really put the pressure on USC in the first half. When... They got a chance with like a minute or so to go, down 21-7. to San Jose State went down the field right before halftime and scored a big touchdown with Cordero finding Nick Nash to make it a 21-14 game at half. Which, honestly, that was huge going into the half. Being down just seven points, they were in the game, moving the ball consistently. The defense was playing hot and playing strong. They were in this game. But there were a few big moments in the second half where things really flipped and it went against San Jose State and their chances in this game. And nobody really thought they were going to be in this game. I was probably one of the only people that thought they'd be in this. And they honestly were in this. I did say, though, in my prediction that I thought USC's defense would struggle against Cordero, which ended up being the case. And I also noted the fact that I thought San Jose State's defense would also struggle against the firepower of that USC offense. And I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up scoring, you know, 50 points and ended up blowing them out because in reality, USC has the firepower to blow out anybody with that offense, but their defense is a wearing and is an issue. And that's why I thought San Jose state would be in this game. My original prediction, I believe was 48, 26. So pretty close to what it ended up being, except a touchdown extra for USC. Then my final prediction was a little bit closer than that. I think I had it being a seven to 10 point game after that. And my final prediction right before the game, because I had a feeling San Jose state would definitely make it close. And I thought they would cover the spread for sure. Which they ended up doing, they still covered the spread, the spread was 30 and a half points. They end up still covering that, losing by 28. But regardless, I thought San Jose State would be in this game. But there were two big points in the second half that I wanted to mention. One coming right after halftime. It's 21-14 going into half, and USC receives the ball. And on this drive, they had a fourth and three play at San Jose State's 46-yard line. If San Jose State's defense makes a big stop here, they would hand the ball back over to the offense, and the Spartans would have a chance to go down the field to tie the game, with it being 21-14. That would have been huge. But unfortunately, on this fourth and three play... USC decides to go for it, and Caleb Williams found Mario Williams for a 23-yard catch and a first down. That drive ended up being a three-yard touchdown run by Austin Jones for USC. So that was a tough turning point. There was another big turning point, and that was Zachariah Branch's 96-yard kick return touchdown for USC. It was a 35-21 game after a miraculous touchdown pass and catch from Cordero to Nash in the end zone. They had three touchdowns in this game. But unfortunately, after that touchdown, which made it a 35-21 game, Zachariah Branch had a kick return right after that for a 96-yard kick return touchdown. Ended up making it a 42-21 game after that with just one minute to go in the third quarter. And that killed my spirit in the game. I thought with it still being a 14-point game 
after that Nash touchdown catch right before Zachary Branch had that kick return touchdown, I thought, okay, San Jose State's still in this game. Even if it's a 14-point game with a minute or so left in the third quarter, they're still somewhat in this game where if they get a big stop defensively, maybe something could happen. But at the end of the day, that Branch touchdown really did put the game out of reach. And it was an uphill battle no matter what. You're playing the number six team in the country. San Jose State had an uphill battle no matter what. But they did make it hard on USC. And that's something that I can least be proud of of that team. And I think the most impressive play of the game came on a 32-yard touchdown pass from Cordero to Nash. And that's the touchdown pass I was mentioning when I said it was a 35-21 to game. Nash had a hell of a catch on that play, fully extended while being held, bringing the ball in with one hand. And it was a great pass as well by Cordero. Ends up making it a 14-point game, but that was the closest it was after that moment. Caleb Williams had an impressive throw as well to Taj Washington for a 76-yard touchdown after losing the ball on the snap. Finds it on the ground, somehow is it out, and finds Washington for a deep touchdown pass. Ends up being a 76-yard score. But at the end of the day, I want to give credit to San Jose State because they never quit in this game and kept fighting. Even with it getting out of hand in the fourth quarter, they kept their starters in the game and were still trying to score points on their last drives in the fourth quarter. It ended up working out. They still scored another touchdown in the fourth quarter between Nash and Cordero yet again. Cordero to Nash for their third touchdown connection of the game. And then after that, San Jose State got the ball back again. With about four minutes to go, they had a drive that they ended up having a chance at 4th and 10 on USC's 34-yard line. Still had all their starters in the game. Cordero was still under center, still trying to make plays. And they ended up not being able to come up with anything on 4th down there. But I was impressed with their poise. Offensively, defensively, they kept their composure at all times. They didn't really get flustered at all. Playing against USC in a big environment, a big school, and number 6 team in the country. You couldn't even tell by the way they played. They were playing relaxed and were calm the entire game in every single moment. Even when it was a close game, 21-14 half on that drive, they kept the composure Obviously, it's a high-pressure environment. There's a lot going on. It's loud. It's noisy. They're playing the best team they're going to play all season at this point. I mean, they do play Oregon State this coming weekend, but USC is going to be the best team San Jose State plays the whole season. They start this season against them. So it was an uphill battle to start this season. But they found a way to keep fighting. And at the end of the day, everybody knows the type of player and team that I'm a fan of. I love players and teams that give it their all, play with a chip on their shoulder, and don't quit no matter what the score is. And San Jose State is a great example of that, and they earned a fan out of me. Even though this game didn't go their way and they end up still losing, they earned a fan out of me for the rest of the season. I'm still going to follow what they do for the rest of the year. And an interesting note is that San Jose State had 24 first downs in this game. USC had 25. San Jose State finished with 396 yards of offense. USC finishes with 501 yards of offense. So like I said, I thought San Jose State would be able to score points and move the ball which wasn't the case. They were able to move the ball and score points. The issue was stopping the firepower of USC's weapons, and that was the problem for San Jose State in this game. They were able to move the ball and stay in the game offensively. It was just defense that was going to be an issue for them in covering all of those track-style wide receivers on USC. San Jose State was successful in the ground game, though. 198 rushing yards in the game, averaging 7.3 yards per rush. And another interesting note, is that there were no turnovers for either team in this game. So each team held the ball, took care of it, and didn't have any careless plays where they threw the ball deep for no reason or at fumbles. So everybody took care of the ball in this game, which is obviously a good note. Cordero finished the game 21 of 38 passing for 198 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, no interceptions, and 10 rushes for 52 yards, including a great 28-yard scramble on third and 22 in the first quarter, which actually ended up setting up a Kyrie Robinson touchdown run from the one-yard line in the first quarter, so that was impressive there. Cordero kept his composure, though, took some big hits, but delivered in the game. Even with taking big hits, he kept his composure and found a way to deliver in big moments. And this San Jose State team will be a fun one to track over the course of the season. I like them to still win six or seven games. 
even though this one was a tough one and they still play Oregon State this weekend, I still believe in this team to make a bowl game and be a team that you still hear about during the season for having big plays on offense. I think Cordero is going to have a great season. I think he's going to be a quarterback that everybody's going to know by the end of the season in college football. As for Robinson, he finished the game nine carries for 28 yards and a touchdown. Also added in three catches for 14 yards. And then they also had another running back for the Spartans, and that was Qualley Conley, who finished the game six carries for 108 yards and a long of 57. His last carry of the game was a 37-yard rush on the last play of the game. He was impressive. Limited touches, only six carries. Some of it did come in garbage time, but regardless, six carries for 108 yards is not easy to do no matter what. Nick Nash finished the game six catches for 89 yards and three touchdowns. Ended up being the best receiver on the night there for San Jose State. Excited to see that duo between Cordero and Nash go on it all season. And then Charles Ross finished with five catches for 62 yards for the Spartans. Linebacker Brian Parham did ball out for the Spartans defense. That was a guy that said to keep your eye on in the game. And he ended up with nine tackles along with the sack. And then defensive lineman Trey Smith had a productive pass rushing night as well. Five tackles, two sacks, and two tackles for loss. As for USC's defense, that's still an issue for them. I think their offense can score with any team in the country and keep up with anybody offensively. It's just their defense needs to get better. They struggled last year defensively. That was a big reason. They didn't make the college football playoff and didn't win the Pac-12 championship. And the same could go for this season as well because the defense did struggle, as I said, against San Jose State, a team that scored 28 points and had almost 400 yards of offense even though they were 30.5-point underdogs in this game, San Jose State did stick around for a lot of it and did keep pressure on USC. And that's because USC's defense did struggle, so they need to get better. As for Caleb Williams, he had another impressive performance here. 18 of 25 passing, 278 yards and four touchdowns. Zachariah Branch had four catches for 58 yards and a touchdown in this game with a 96-yard kick return touchdown as well, which I already mentioned. And then Dorian Singer, another dangerous playmaking wide receiver there for USC's offense, finished with four catches for 41 yards and a touchdown in that game. Now I'm going to switch over and talk about UMass's surprise win over New Mexico State. New Mexico State was in a bowl game last year. They were 7-6 overall last season. Going into this game, were favorites over UMass, and UMass found a way to win. And if you look at UMass, they got head coach Don Brown back last season, still struggled in year one with him back with the program. He was a former head coach on them before, comes back. In year one, struggles back with them. And then he really took advantage of the transfer portal this past offseason, getting Tyson Pumachon, a former Clemson and Georgia Tech quarterback, getting Mark Pope, a former wide receiver at UMiami and Jackson State, and also added some other pieces I'm going to mention as well, including redshirt junior running back K-Ron Lynch-Adams, a running back from Rutgers who ended up being very productive for them on offense in this game. And if you look at UMass in this game, their offense was finally respectable and they scored points, winning this game 41-30. to And this ended up being UMass's first season opening win against an FBS team since 1973. Their first time beating an FBS team to start the season since 1973. And their offense in this game had zero turnovers. That was a big issue for them in years past was turning the ball over, whether it was interceptions or fumbles. They had zero in this game. And the fourth quarter is a wild one. And I caught the recap of it a few days ago. Didn't end up watching it though live. Unfortunately, you saw the recap though uh, on Monday or Tuesday of this week. And it was legitimately all offense in the fourth quarter. No defense. It was Big 12 style of a fourth quarter. All offense, no defense. UMass scored 28 points in the fourth quarter. And New Mexico State scored 20 in the fourth quarter. So there are 48 points combined in the fourth quarter between these two teams. Redshirt junior running back K-Ron Lynch-Adams had two rushing touchdowns for UMass in the fourth quarter, including runs of 10 yards and 21 yards for scores. He's a transfer from Rutgers. So that's another guy that Don Brown added in the offseason in the transfer portal. And then Pumachon, the starting quarterback for UMass, didn't do enough in the passing attack, didn't throw a passing touchdown, unfortunately, but he didn't run well enough for them to win the game. He finished with 10 completions and 16 attempts, 
With 192 passing yards, no passing touchdowns, but 16 carries for 93 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And then Lynch Adams was great for UMass on offense. 15 carries for 78 yards and two touchdowns out of the backfield. And then Anthony Simpson added three catches of 65 yards, including a 27-yard catch. He is a transfer wide receiver from Arizona. He also added in two carries for 27 yards and a rushing touchdown. So if you look at it, they add in a transfer from Arizona, Rutgers, Clemson slash Georgia Tech, and Jackson State slash the University of Miami. Adding in transfers from all big schools, really. Arizona, Clemson, and then also Georgia Tech, Rutgers. All bigger schools than what UMass has brought in for the last few years in the transfer portal. And the transfer portal worked for them this offseason. They scored some points. As for New Mexico State, Diego Pavia threw three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter for the Aggies. Actually had a pick six, though, to cornerback Isaiah Rutherford, who is a transfer cornerback from Arizona to UMass Amherst. He ended up picking it off and returning it 55 yards to the house, giving UMass a 33-17 lead. So if you include that pick six by Pavia in the fourth quarter, he actually had four touchdown passes. Three for the Aggies and one for the Minutemen in the fourth quarter. But Pavia did respond, though, after that drive. It was a 33-17 game after that pick six. Did respond to the 40-yard touchdown pass to Jordan Parker around two minutes after that pick six, making it a 34-24 game with four minutes and 43 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. But UMass closed it out with a 21-yard touchdown run by Lynch Adams, making it too much of a deficit there for the Aggies to come back from. The Aggies did play hard, though, up until the end. They even scored with about five seconds to go, got another touchdown, making it a closing score of 41-30. So credit to the Aggies. They did play hard the whole game. But the three turnovers that they had, with one of them being a pick six, was very costly at the end of the day. It was very costly. That pick six did flip the game around. Even though they did score another touchdown right after that, even scored again, as I said, with five seconds to go. They found a way to really move the ball in offense in the fourth quarter. But that pick six was a big difference in the game. Pavia finished 15-26 passing for New Mexico State with 249 passing yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and 15 carries for 54 yards. As for UMass Amherst, defense will still be an issue for them. They gave up almost 500 yards in this game, 496 yards on offense in this game. But they did force three turnovers, though, as I said, including a pick six. They did have eight penalties in this game, the Minutemen, which is something they need to clean up. They obviously have to be more disciplined. They were led in tackles by Tyler Rudolph, a transfer defensive back from Penn State. So they got transfers from Arizona, two of them, Penn State, Rutgers, Clemson slash Georgia Tech, and Jackson State slash Miami. They found a way to really hit the transfer portal this past offseason. So credit to UMass Amherst and their staff for bringing in talent. And they bring in a guy, Rudolph, from Penn State, a defensive back, who led them in tackles. Eight tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss in this game against New Mexico State. They do have to go down to Auburn this weekend, so that'll be a tough matchup there. But being an independent team, they can create their own schedule, and they get to face three MAC teams this year. So I'm excited about that for them. They do have to go play Auburn, which is a tough game. They probably get paid a good amount of money to go travel to Auburn and have to play them in their season opener. It'll probably be a tough game trying to go up against Auburn. If you're struggling to stop Pavia in New Mexico State in the fourth quarter last weekend, you're probably going to struggle heavily, I'd imagine, against Auburn and their offense and how quick they play in the SEC. But at the end of the day, they start the at 1-0, which is great. Now they go down to Auburn, and then we'll still play three MAC teams on the year, which I'm excited about. And they played a handful of MAC teams over the last few seasons. That's better competition for them to play against, probably a little bit more even going up against the MAC teams, even though they've struggled against them in years past. It's a little bit more even going up against MAC teams than it is trying to go play Auburn, let's say, like they are this weekend. That'll be a tough game for them there. They'll probably end up losing by 35 to 40 points. But regardless, if they go out there and score 20 points, that's a win. If they lose the game, let's say 45-20, that would be a moral win in my eyes because you're going up against a top program in the country 
a national powerhouse with how well they recruit, and you're going in there scoring, let's say, three touchdowns just about, and keeping it within three to four touchdowns, which is still a blowout, but it obviously could be worse, and it's better than what they've done in years past. So one of the games I want to mention is Ohio, who had a tough loss to San Diego State, losing that game 20-13. Quarterback Curtis Rourke left the game early for Ohio. It was his first game back since tearing his ACL last season, and he ends up leaving this game with a lower body injury. It was 8 of 10 passing for 75 yards. Quarterback C.J. Harris stepped in for Ohio's offense as the backup, but did struggle with decision-making. He was 18-41 with a 44% completion percentage, 204 passing yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions. He's a little bit more mobile than Rourke. He did add in nine carries to 27 yards, but three interceptions is obviously a tough game. Wide receiver Sam Wigless was really good, though, for Ohio. He balled out 10 catches on 15 targets for 103 yards. He's a guy to watch out for. He's going to be an NFL draft pick, I'd imagine, next April. He's a hidden gem in the MAC, a guy I really like to watch play. He's going to be a big part of that Ohio offense this season, and especially considering how good he was last year, I think he's going to be even better this year, so it should be a fun one to watch. Linebacker Bryce Houston is all over the field for Ohio, finishing the game with 13 tackles and two tackles for a loss. Ohio can be a dangerous team in the MAC this year. They can be a dangerous team. They finished last season with 10 wins, which is their first 10-win season since 2011, and they brought back some talent this year as well. Brought back some returners, including Wigless and including Rourke. So they should be a good team this year. As for San Diego State in this game, quarterback Jalen Maiden led them on offense. He was 17 of 27 passing for 164 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and 10 carries for 34 yards in this game. San Diego State tight end Mark Redmond was an issue for Ohio. He finished the game with five catches for 62 yards and two touchdowns. Maiden and Redmond connected for a four-yard touchdown pass with five minutes to go, making the score 20-6 with 5.44 left in the game. Then San Diego State's kicker kicked the kickoff out of bounds, placing Ohio with a 35-yard line to start the next drive, in which C.J. Harris led the Bobcats down the field, finding Miles Cross for a three-yard touchdown score, making a seven-point game with 159 remaining. The Bobcats threatened on the next drive defensively, forcing a three-and-out from that San Diego State offense, getting the ball back for Ohio with 54 seconds left to go. But unfortunately, the drive ended with C.J. Harris being intercepted on San Diego State's 33-yard line by Aztecs linebacker New Zealand Williams with nine seconds left in the game. Ohio did fight hard, though, with Rourke out of the game. Now they go on and face Long Island this weekend at home on Saturday at 12 p.m. Should be a big offensive game to get them back on track. As for some games to preview tonight, I'm going to start off with Kent State at UCF at 7 p.m. on FS1. Kent State is a heavy underdog in this game, and their win total set for just two and a half on the year. They were 5-7 last year. They have a new head coach in Kenny Burns. He was the assistant head coach for Minnesota from 2019 to 2022. Also was the running backs coach during that time as well for Minnesota. As for Kent State's offense, their quarterback is Michael Alimo, who is a transfer quarterback from Purdue. Alimo played in just three games last year for Purdue, was 9 of 18 passing for 74 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Kent State's quarterback from last season was Colin Schley. He ends up leaving and transferring to UCLA. The same goes for a lot of that offense from last season of Kent State, including all-MAC running back Marquez Cooper, who ends up leaving for Ball State. And then they also lost two top receivers from last year as well, including Dante Cephas, who had three touchdowns last year and 744 receiving yards. He ends up leaving for Penn State. And then another receiver, Devontae Walker, ended up leaving and transferring to UNC. He had 921 yards last year for Kent State's offense and 11 scores. So it looks like Kent State's going to struggle probably to move the ball downfield considering they lost the starting running back, best two wide receivers, and quarterback from last season. 
It looks like they have no returning offensive studies from last year to this year, which is a crazy turnover from last year to this season. But with the new coach, they're rebuilding the program. This is a building year for them. As for UCF, they were 9-5 and last year, losing in the military bowl to Duke. They are joining the Big 12 this year, which is a big upgrade for them. I will give a breakdown of the whole college football realignment pretty soon. I want to give a whole recap of what teams are going where and give my thoughts on the whole process. As for UCF, their quarterback is John Rice Plumley, a transfer from Ole Miss who had a 63% completion percentage last year with 14 passing touchdowns, 8 interceptions, adding in 860 rush yards on the ground and 11 rush touchdowns. Have to watch him on the ground. A big dual threat quarterback. Very good athlete. He actually had the second most rushing yards last year among quarterbacks in college football. So Kent State is going to have to watch out for his ability on the ground. For UCF, they did lose their top receiver from last year, Ryan O'Keefe. He ends up transferring to BC. I think this is going to be a tough game for Kent State, but it is a building year for the program. If they can keep it close at half, that would be a win. If they keep it around 21 points at half, that would probably be a win for this program. No one's given them a chance in this game. The 35.5 point underdogs. If they can go out and put some points on the board and maybe have a couple good offensive drives and try to build off of that for the rest of the season, that would be good. This is a building year for the program, as I said, in Kenny Burns' first season. Now I'm going to move on and talk about another MAC team, and that is Western Michigan, who will be hosting St. Francis of Pennsylvania tonight at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. Western Michigan's starting quarterback is redshirt sophomore Jack Salopek, who will be getting the start for them under center in tonight's game. He only had a 49% completion percentage last year in seven games played, with seven passing touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and a rushing touchdown. As for Western Michigan's offense, they still have former BC wide receiver Jelani Galloway, a guy that I think could be a breakout candidate for them on offense if given the opportunities. I was a big fan of him at BC. I think if he gets more chances on offense, I think he can show them that he can be a top receiver for that program. Western Michigan was just 5-7 last year. They fired their head coach, Tim Lester, after last season. Now they have Lance Taylor as their head coach with his debut being tonight against St. Francis. As for St. Francis, they're an FCS team. They won the Northeast Conference last year in 2022, earning a spot in the FCS playoffs, where they ended up losing right away in the first round. Cole Doyle is their starting quarterback. He threw 21 passing touchdowns last season with three interceptions and 1,900 passing yards. He's a good quarterback that's very conservative, only three interceptions last season. We'll see how the game goes tonight, but hopefully Western Michigan starts out the year with a big win. As for NC State, they are traveling to UConn for a battle tonight at 7.30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. UConn will be hosting NC State in this game. UConn had a very successful year last year in 2022. They were 6-7. But 6-6 six and six in the regular season, they made a bowl game, ended up losing in it. Credit to Jim Mora, though, who ended up turning that program around in just year one for him last year after being hired. UConn quarterback is Joe Fagnano, who was a quarterback last year for UMaine. He now transfers from UMaine to UConn, a guy who was an absolute baller in my eyes. I saw him play last year against BC at Alumni Stadium. He was tough in that game, 21-43 passing for 289 passing yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and also had nine carries for 26 yards in that game, including a 15-yard run. He does have the ability to scramble and use his legs when he has to, so we'll see if he does that in tonight's game. He did have a great season last year for UMaine's offense, had a career high in passing yards, completions, and touchdowns, 208 completions, 2,200 passing yards, and 15 passing touchdowns with just six interceptions, and two of those coming against BC. All season last year, though, he's a very consistent player there for UMaine. I'm excited to see what he does for the UConn program. UConn is bringing back running back Victor Rosa, who is back for another season. He had 635 yards last year for the UConn Huskies offense and 11 rushing touchdowns. UConn middle linebacker Jackson Mitchell is a tackling machine. He's a guy to keep your eye on in tonight's game. He's back for the Huskies defense this season. 100 tackles last year with seven tackles for a loss, four sacks, and an interception. As for NC State, their quarterback is Brendan Armstrong, who had seven passing touchdowns and 12 interceptions last season for UVA. 
was successful, though, in 2021 for Virginia. He had 4,400 passing yards in that season in 2021 with 31 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 9 rushing touchdowns, and a touchdown reception in that year as well. So all in all, he had 41 total touchdowns in that 2021 season. He has good mobility as well, can use his legs. We'll see what he does in tonight's game. One of the best defensive players last year was linebacker Drake Thomas, who ends up leaving for the NFL, goes undrafted, but is now with Seattle. He had 81 tackles last season for the Wolfpack with 16 tackles for a loss and seven and a half sacks. So he'll be a big loss there for NC State's defense, but they still have linebacker Peyton Wilson, who's back for another season. He had 58 tackles last year with five tackles for a loss, four and a half sacks, and an interception. In this game, UConn's a 14-point underdog. I think they stay within that for sure. I think UConn even has a chance to upset NC State in this game. I think it'll be a close one, and I really like Fagnano. I'm going to pay attention to what UConn does this upcoming season. I think they're going to be in this game. I think it'll be a 27-23 game with UConn winning. Oh, and although I do think they cover that 14-point spread, though, no matter what, even if they win or lose. As for Florida, they are traveling to the number 14 team in the country tonight, heading west and playing Utah at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Utah will likely be without quarterback Cam Rising in this game, so it'll likely be Bryson Bonds at quarterback for them. In 10 games last year, Bonds had four touchdowns passing with two interceptions in limited snaps. Without Rising, though, that's a big loss for Utah. They could be on upset alert without him. We'll see what happens in the game. Utah was 10-4 last year and did win the Pac-12 championship over USC, a team they beat twice last season, which was very impressive. They have three returners on their offensive line. Their offensive line did help out a lot last season. Definitely helped Cam Rising put up big numbers. And a guy that could be a breakout candidate for the Utah offense this year is Money Pox, a wide receiver on that offense who is returning for another season. Last year, he had 26 catches for 414 yards and two touchdowns. I think he's got to pay attention to this upcoming season. I think he could have a big year for Utah, maybe take some of that production that Utah lost with Dalton Kincaid going to the NFL. Maybe he takes up some of that production they're losing with Kincaid being drafted by the Bills. We'll see what happens there. I do like Money Pox, though, to be a big breakout player for the Utah offense. And if you look at Utah, they also had a very good player in Kareen Reed last year, who's back for another season. He was an all-pack 12 first-team member last year, and he's back for another season. Last year, he had 72 tackles, five sacks, and an interception. He's back for another year. And they also have safety Cole Bishop back as well. He led the Utah defense in tackles last season with 83, had six tackles for a loss, also an interception, one-and-a-half sacks, and three pass breakups. He's back for another year with Utah. So Utah has a lot of returning members from last year's team coming back. Obviously, Dalton Kincaid's a big loss at the tight end position, but I think Money Pox, that wide receiver there, could help out and take some production that they're losing there with Kincaid being gone. As for Florida, they were 6-7 and seven last season. Their quarterback last year was Anthony Richardson, who was a top pick fourth overall in this year's draft to the Indianapolis Colts. So they're without Richardson as well this upcoming season. They were 6-7 and seven last year with Richardson. And now their starting quarterback is Graham Mertz, who had a 57% completion percentage last year for Wisconsin with 19 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He appeared in 25 games over the last two years for the Badgers. So he has a lot of experience now and is now stepping in as a Florida starting quarterback. And in that offense, they have four returning starters and four returning starters on defense as well. So four on offense, four on defense returning from last year to this year. Florida does love running the ball. They have both of their running backs coming back from last season. They have Trevor Etienne coming back and also Montrell Johnson Jr. coming back as well. Last season, they averaged 5.4 yards per carry, which is 14th best in college football. And now both of those guys will be back for another season. Johnson last year at 841 yards on the ground. And ETN had 718 yards on the ground. And they combined for 16 total touchdowns last year between those two backs, Johnson and ETN. So it should be a fun offense to watch on the ground this year. The running backs 
are back now, and they do have some returners as well, as I said, on defense. So we'll see what Florida does this year, but the SEC is always tough. And an interesting note is that Utah has lost three straight season openers against FBS opponents. And if you look at Florida, they're 30-1 in season openers since 1990. So there's a chance Florida could upset Utah in this game, especially with Cam Risey being out. Who knows what that offense will look like? There's a chance Florida upsets in this game. I think it'd be a close one no matter what. I'm going to go Utah winning this one, 31-27. I think it'd be a close game, though. And that's a little bit high scoring, considering they have a backup quarterback in there for Utah. Maybe it's a little bit lower scoring. Maybe, let's say, 23-20. I'm going to say Utah winning this one. But I think Florida has a chance of upsetting them in this game. As for Nebraska, they are playing Minnesota tonight at Minnesota at 8 p.m. on Fox. This is the last game I'm going to preview tonight. Matt Rule is making his debut as head coach for Nebraska. He's trying to get the program back on track. They're a historic program, especially in years past. Now they're really struggling, though, in recent years. They were 4-8 last year. Scott Frost was fired, and now they bring in Matt Rule to be their head coach. Their quarterback is Jeff Sims. He played in 25 games in his career for Georgia Tech with 30 total passing touchdowns and 23 interceptions. He did add in a 58% completion percentage and 11 rushing touchdowns in those 25 games, along with a 4.2 yards per carry average. As for Minnesota, they were 9-4 last year. They had an impressive season, especially defensively, and especially in their pass defense. They were 15th best in the country against the pass. They're bringing back some starters from their defense last year. And also, if you look at their offense, they have some guys coming back from last year. The top wide receiver last year was Daniel Jackson. He's back for another season. He had 37 catches for 557 yards and five touchdowns last year. He's back for the Golden Gophers this year. And then Ethan Kaliak Manis is their starting quarterback this year. He played in 11 games last year in limited snaps, had three touchdowns and four interceptions with a 54% completion percentage. I'm interested to see what he does this year for Minnesota. He was the backup last year, and now he gets a chance to be the full-time starter for them. Wide receiver Corey Crooms is the guy to keep your eye on. He's a transfer wide receiver from Western Michigan to Minnesota. Last year, he had 57 catches for 814 yards and five touchdowns for Western Michigan. He's a guy that could help out that Minnesota offense and help them move the ball down the field. We'll see what they do in tonight's game. I think it could be a close one in this game. Nebraska has Matt Rule as a head coach, a guy that had a lot of success in college football before jumping to the NFL. He did struggle with the Carolina Panthers when he became the head coach, but he had a lot of success in years past, especially at Temple, especially at Baylor. He was a great head coach in college football before, so I think he's going to coach Nebraska and get them back on track this year. It's still a building year, though, for them. It's only year one for him with this program, so maybe it takes a couple years for them to get themselves fully back on track, but I think this could be a close game for them. I'm going to go Minnesota winning this game, but I think it's going to be a close one. I'm going to go Minnesota winning this one 24-20. We'll see what happens in tonight's games. I'm going to give a full college football preview of the whole season probably tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one. Take it easy, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.